0: This is Power Athlete Athlete Radio. With your hosts Denny K,
1: Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge.
2: Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. This week, we are pleased to bring you our conversation with Glenn Penley. This longtime coach has worked with athletes of the highest caliber from around the country. Originally gaining notoriety at California Strength with the likes of Donnie Schenkel, Max Ada, and Caleb Ward, Coach Penley eventually made his way to the East Coast. He now coaches full-time with Team MDUSA, a privately funded National Olympic weightlifting team. Have you ever wondered what personalities are best suited for Olympic weightlifting or why great athletes don't always make the best coaches? Coach Penley answers those questions in detail in our conversation. And a few interesting points of our chat regarded the semantics around the origin of the term catapult method. Get the real story from Glenn and the no bullshit answer to the question, is this really an actual method? Coach Penley discusses what it was like to leave California strength and make the transition to muscle driver, as well as some of his experiences with standout athletes from both. What's on the horizon for Coach Penley and Team NDUSA? To find out, stay tuned. This is episode 119.
3: What's up, Power Athlete Nation? Welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. This is Denny. I'm here with Callie, Luke, Tex, John, and Bobby. And today, our guest is Coach Penley. Thanks for joining us, Coach. Uh, I appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk a little shop with us.
1: Thanks for having me.
3: And how are my power athlete co-hosts? <laughs> Great. Uh,
1: <laughs> so
4: sweaty. Just sweating. <laughs> sweating for the past five days. No change there, Luke.
3: It's a sweaty family recipe. (laughs) Yes? No? Anybody remember that one?
4: Of course. We we found out that Luke processes salt faster than (laughs) anyone. Oh, yeah. So I I have a a genetic something or rather, based off of one of these DNA tests for putzing around with, that I clear salt and I buffer salt faster than like 90% of people. So that's why when I sweat... I got these fucking amazing salt lines at the bottom of my sweat, like my sweat pool that ex- I'm buffering my that salt.
2: explains how you're able to metabolize tortilla chips at such a high rate.
4: but the bottom <laughs> of the sweat pools the bottom of the shorts it goes from top of the shirt <laughs> to the shorts. Listen, if your sweat pool's not down below the bit be- the belly button, you're not doing it right wow. okay and listen Kelly <laughs> the, the trick to metabolizing chips is to not chew them. just inhale. You just eat like a duck. You know what I mean? Oh my God. Yeah, we usually uh, coach. We usually wait to the end
3: to pull out all the the secret material, but today it's just it's just flowing. Um, maybe we can just kind of start with uh, a little bit of uh, what you got going down at Muscle Driver and um, how the Nationals win.
1: Well, the Nationals. Was an amazing meet. Um, our team did very, very well. I think actually the nationals was pretty good for everybody. I mean, I think that it went off from an organ- organizational standpoint was very good. The hotel was wonderful. Um, pretty much everything that could go right did go right. I think a lot, a lot of um, you know, kudos go to the USAW for putting on a wonderful, wonderful meet. Which the last couple of nationals have been, you know, unbelievable. So they've done a really good job of late. Um, and this, this one was, um, just more of the same, I guess. It was a wonderful meet and a wonderful, uh, venue, wonderful venue, but for our team, it was really good. Um, I think that about everything that could go right, did go right for muscle driver as a team, um, ended up winning the men's and women's team titles, um, which the men's was kind of expected. The women's was kind of unexpected, but, um, but we, we won and I think every, all of our lifters did well. Um some of them did better than others, but uh most of everybody did good. Nobody really had a terrible meet. Um, so when you have everybody doing as well as expected or better, you know, that's that's special. I mean, there's a lot of meets where a couple people do good and a couple people do bad, but this was kind of across the board, well, doing good, you know. So that's that's wonderful. As a coach, those those times are that's stuff you got to remember because it's not gonna be that way every time.
2: So, coach, do you um do you think that you did anything different in preparing these athletes that had maybe a, like a positive um impact on their performance? Or is this just like this is standard Glenn Penley coaching?
1: Um, well, it's not just me. I mean, we have a whole coaching staff and uh everybody I think prepared well as coaches and all the athletes uh I think just a whole training cycle. Um, Macaulay and Coach Wilkes both, you know, took care of a little bit different stuff um for different athletes. But I think they all we all kind of came together as a team and every just everything did everything worked out well for this meet. I'm not quite sure why. If I could if I could bottle that and, and sell it, I'd probably make a million bucks because sometimes things just go right and sometimes they don't. But this was one of those meets that things just went right. Everything seemed to work out.
3: Um, Coach, could you talk a little bit about how, how things have changed since uh, your time with Cal Strength and then the Muscle Driver? And, and maybe um, if you could just kind of quickly kind of go over how that whole thing came about.
1: You mean the Cal Strength thing?
3: Yeah, like you know what what kind of opportunities presented itself to where you know to which you decided to leave Cal Strength and go into Muscle Driver. I got you. And yeah, and then maybe like how you or if you've uh, changed a little bit in how you prepare the teams to compete.
1: Okay. Well, while I was at Cal Strength, I actually owned a part of Muscle Driver, Um, but the other people in the company were very much in favor of me going to Cal Strength, and that's because I would get to coach uh, several athletes there that were very top level athletes, including a couple that I had coached previously. I was Donnie Shankel coach for over 10 years, um, and so he was out of Cal Strength, and um, Caleb Ward was going to Cal Strength. Caleb, I had coached him from the time he was 13 year, 12 or 13 years old until he, was, until he broke the American record nonstop. So I had a long relationship with him. Um, and he wanted to go out, you know, move away from Wichita Falls and go somewhere, and Cal Strength was the obvious choice. And uh, so I kind of followed Caleb and went out there. Donnie was already out there at that time. And uh, so it was a group of athletes that I already had worked with before. Um, I was already a couple of, that was listed as their coaches, and so it was just a, a wonderful opportunity um, to go out there and, and like step into a great program. Um, Dave Spitz um, had had built even before I was there; he'd built a pretty good program at Cal Strength, and that gave me the opportunity to just step into that program. Um, you know, a couple athletes that I hadn't coached before, like you know Max Aida, uh, John North, um, and then a couple others. Um, that, that were at CalStrength Strength, uh, kind of gave me a you know a soft landing so to speak. When I went to Cal Strength, everything was just laid out and ready, ready made for me to get there. So it was it was a very nice place to spend a couple of years. It was, it was very good, very good uh, team and very good atmosphere there. But wh- while I was out there, Muscle Driver as a company kept growing, and eventually Muscle Driver was big enough to support a team. And obviously, um, I wanted to be with the team that I owned a part of, so I had to come back, you know, and we started building our own team. Um, and that's went amazingly well. It's went amazingly well. Um, kind of started off with um, some athletes that I coached at Cal Strength, followed me out to Muscle Driver. And over the past couple years, a couple of them have dropped off, you know, the weightlifting scene. But we've continued to add newer athletes and better athletes. The team has gotten better, uh, better and better as the years have went on. And at this point, the Muscle Driver team is, you know, it's kind of a dream situation. Um, I get to coach every single day a group of a wonderful group of athletes. Um, I'd say the best group that I've ever worked with is at Muscle Driver right now. i mean, you know, and so that's a wonderful position as a, as a coach to step in and have a group of athletes like that, it's basically a dream job. And I'm very well aware that anybody that's in coaching right now has to be envious a little bit of us at Muscle Driver because we get to work every day with with the best men and women in weightlifting in the United States. There's no better place to be.
2: Uh, Coach Penley, when you say you work with a great group of athletes, obviously they're um, they're skilled in their sport, but is there anything else that kind of goes into that opinion of these particular athletes? I mean, in terms of work ethic or personality or coachability, I mean, what, what would you say also makes them great?
1: Well, I think one of the biggest things is just, is work ethic, obviously. Um, weightlifting is one of those sports that, and I think there's some sports that are different than weightlifting. Um, like, I would suggest that probably in middle school, like in sixth grade, seventh grade, for sure eighth grade, if you could look into the, the the athletes of tomorrow, by the time they're in eighth grade, most people could pick the ones that are going to be the stars and the, spar- the starters on the basketball team. It doesn't matter how hard a lot of athletes work, how dedicated they are, you're going to be able to know who are going to be the stars when they're very young. Uh, who has a talent genetically and the kids that don't have the talent um, because they're short, slow, can't run, you know, et cetera, et cetera, are just never going to be able to make up for that with hard work. They're just there, there's basically no chance. In weightlifting, I think it's a little different. I think definitely there's some people are genetically advantaged for weightlifting. Some people are not. But I think weightlifting is a few sports that a person that works their ass off can make up for a lot of talent um, through hard work. And so I think that weightlifting is a sport that if you don't work, um, you are not going to win. Even a guy that's genetically disadvantaged, like crazy, has all the, has to train, train hard, or they're going to get their butt kicked. And so I think having a good work ethic is just, you know, it just just has to happen for a weightlifter, it's just not going to be good. And I think that's one of the reasons I love weightlifting. That's one of the reasons I think weightlifting is such a wonderful sport. It's not all God-given talent. There's a work ethic that is required. A good work ethic that is required, and that's one of the things I love about about the sport. but I think almost by the time people get to the stage where they're going to be considered for the muscle driver team, the work ethic has to have been there for a long time, so i don't really I don't really ever have a chance to work with kids that don't have a good work ethic because they never make it this far, so it's kind of they're kind of self selected I guess.
2: Yeah. Right. Do you, Do you feel like there's um because it's such an individualized sport? Do you think that it takes a certain type of person to do weightlifting? I mean, I know you said that there are, you know, you can work hard and you can, um, you know, you work ethic can make up for a lot of uh sort of being in a disadvantageous genetic, you know, predisposition type thing. But um, do you think that there's a certain personality that, you know, has to wrap their mind around, you know. Um, going up, hitting heavy singles and the pressure of of what it takes to get on a platform and make that happen in seconds?
1: Absolutely. I think there is. And I think that some of the people that are, you have a lot of different personalities on a muscle driver team, but it seems like people that are more self-directed, maybe even introverted, tend to do well in weightlifting. That's one of the, you know, I would say, like a Travis Cooper, who's not the most extroverted person in real life, you know. Um, you know, uh, one of our, one of our, uh, one of our guys, James Tatum, is also kind of can be a little bit quiet and things like that. But they're both people, very smart, and and very hard workers, just very hard workers. I think I think that again and again, you're going to find. Me describing lifters that end up doing well in weightlifting, they're just hard workers. They're just hard workers. But I think that weightlifting sometimes can be an outlet for people that aren't the, like, the life of the party type of people. Um, I'm not going to say everybody in weightlifting is like that, but I think it can be an outlet for some people that aren't as social as some other people.
2: Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, in terms of going back to uh, sort of physical traits, um, you know, you mentioned to Denny in your conversation that speed is one of the things that you look for when you have an athlete trying out for, like, the muscle driver team. Um, you know, why is that? Uh, I mean, a lot of us as coaches, we understand why that's such an important aspect. But, um, you know, in your words, can you explain why that's so important from a coaching standpoint? And from a
1: performance? The, speed is one of the hardest things to coach. So as a coach, you realize, or you have eventually you realize, um, that you really can't coach an athlete faster. You can't make an athlete faster than God has made him, you know? And so because that doesn't speed doesn't respond to training quite as much as strength does, you kind of kind of have to be given be God given with with great speed or you're just not gonna ever have it. And so I think that's why. I mean, yeah, you know, if people are born fast, they're going to be fast. If they're not born fast, they're never going to be super fast.
3: I was thinking on how flexibility, how more flexible weightlifters tend to become as they train and, um, you know, this, as the years go on. Even if it's just like creating a front rack for somebody like me that's tight in the, in the shoulders and the arms and stuff. So... I, I always remember John telling a story, like the Deion Sanders story, about how, uh, you know, Deion Sanders could run. You know, I'm going to destroy this story. He could run a fast 40 when he was tighter than hell, and then when some coaches kind of thought, well, this guy needs to get more mobile, it actually slowed him down a little bit.
4: No, it was it was in college, and he ran uh, 4-4 or 4-3. So they're thinking, all right, he can't even reach past his knees on his right. just reached out to touch your toes and they thought, Oh my god, he's gonna break the forty record if he gains flexibility, but then it actually slowed him down.
3: Yeah, and is it I mean that would be I mean that would it be wrong for somebody to look at at an athlete like Sanders and be like, oh okay this guy is so freaking tight, we need to kind of loosen him up and um I was gonna ask coach if if he's seen anything even similar to that. In weightlifting, as these weightlifters become more flexible, does it, uh, does it change the speed or the velocity that they're able to generate on the bar?
1: Well, in weightlifting, you have to be strong enough to hit the positions. Um, or, you have, sorry, you have to be flexible enough to hit the positions. You know? So if you're flexible enough to get in a good snatch position um, off the floor and at the bottom of the snatch, that's really all the more flexible you have to be. Um, I don't, I don't advocate trying to be more flexible than you need to be. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't. I don't really think that it slowed anybody down. I, I don't really think that I'd agree with that. I'm sure it could a sprinter or something like that, but I think in weightlifting, it's it's pretty well defined how flexible you you need to be. Um, strong enough to hit the positions correctly, or flexible enough to hit the positions correctly, and that's about it. And I don't think that hurts anybody for weightlifting. I mean, maybe it hurts some people for other sports, sprinting or whatnot, but weightlifting and sprinting are not the same thing.
2: Can you, can you talk a little bit about how you get athletes on board in terms of uh, recruiting them for muscle driver? You know, what are, what are the tryouts like, and when do they occur, and, uh, you know, uh, what's that entire process like?
1: We have tryouts, I believe, two or three times a year, and the way you try out is to compete at a muscle driver event. Um, very simple, and the way that after that um, we're gonna, you know, watch you compete, talk to you, and decide if you're a person that we want to have on the team, because a lot of it, a lot of like I guess you call it personality, whether you get along with the coaches, get along with me, get along with the other lifters. Um, because in weightlifting, the muscle-driver athletes train together every day, twice a day, most days. So you're going to have to get along good with the group. Your personality is going to have to fit in with the group. You're going to have to be a positive um, force on the, for the group. Basically, you're going to have to make the team better. Um, I think for most people, that's kind of a you know, an an easy uh, hurdle to, 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 to get to, but we're not going to pick somebody if they're going to be a problem, you know, like if you're living a lifestyle or that's going to be a problem for you, um, if you're a party animal and you're going to go out and drink constantly and you're not on board with the way that most athletes need to conduct themselves, um, in their general life to get better if you're going to be a negative, have a negative impact on that, you're probably not going to end up as a muscle driver athlete because we want people that are going to make the people around them better. Um, not only that make themselves better, but also make the people around them better. I think that's uh, if you're going to build a strong team, you're not going to have, be able to have a ton of negative influence on that team or negative influences on that team. You have to watch that. And I, I think there's been people that wanted to be on the muscle driver team probably could have been on the Muscle Driver team, but they didn't have that going for them. Um, We were very worried about a negative influence, and it negatively affecting the other team members, and that's probably eventually why they didn't get invited, but uh, I feel like um, that's a standard you have to have, or you're gonna bring people around you down, you know? And we have a pretty good chemistry, a very good chemistry, very good group of athletes that all work hard, all encourage each other, And everybody's making the people around them better. I I don't want to ruin that, you know. I don't want some wild card to come in here and screw up the chemistry of the team and screw up other people getting better also. So I think we're kind of careful about that.
4: I'm curious on how the invitation and that conversation goes and where you invite an athlete to just pack up their lives wherever they are in the U.S. to come out and move in with the team
1: well uh, I guess it just goes we're extending you an invitation that um, you want to come <laughs> and so far I would have to say that we haven't really had almost anybody ever turn down an invitation I mean I think at this point most people are gonna are going to jump the chance because I think I think that our team, our training atmosphere in our team is second to none. I mean, I, we have more people on the world team from Muscle Driver than they do from the Olympic Training Center. So, you know, I think that almost anybody would love to train in this atmosphere. Um, love to.
2: Coach, uh, looking back on your, your career um, up until this point, I mean, I'm sure you've dealt with a lot of athletes that were. Uh, Maybe harder personalities or not as coachable, but let's uh, let's kind of talk a little bit about some of your uh, more favorable experiences. Who are some of the athletes that you found to be the most coachable and the most engaged with um, with your coaching?
1: Hmm, that's going to be a rough. That's a rough question. I'm going to have to try to that. that'll require a little bit of thought. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm going to think about that for a minute because. That would that would definitely require some some thought because I don't want to. The problem is I don't I don't want to name three people and then sure. forget to name one person because then that would piss them off obviously. It's Why do not you talk about me? Yeah. Um, but I would I would say the the fir- one thing I would say that was I think the the that, that if he wasn't the biggest joy I've ever had coaching had to be ranked right up there was Caleb Ward. Um, I met Caleb when he was 13 or 12. I can't really remember. I think it was 12. I started coaching him when he was 12, coaching him all the way to when he was 19 and broke the American record. And Caleb, I would say, was always um, very motivated, very goal-directed, very goal-directed. I mean, he knew what he wanted to do. He knew when he was 12 or 13 that he wanted to go to the Olympics. He did not end up getting there, but over the course of that, you know, that uh, eight years that I coached him, some things changed for him eventually, like they all do for all of us as we get to grow into adulthood. And he eventually you know, quit weightlifting to go to school, which I think was a decent decision for him. And I, I think it's a decision that he's pleased with now. I think he's glad he did it but he he did some great things in weightlifting. He broke an American record. Um I think that's successful by anybody's standards and he was a, he he was still to this day I would say he was maybe the technically the best lifter as far as having good lifting technique that I've ever coached. Um he he was wonderful. Wonderful to work with. He did things like I want him to, you know, I mean, he he developed his pull and his technique, um, over time and looked exactly the way I want him to look. Um, I would say that, uh, I haven't had too many other people that have accomplished at the, at the, at the, you know, some level in the career, I could point to them and watch them lift and say, that is exactly how I want somebody to lift. That looks typical, like prototypical. That's a prototype I want to have everybody look like. And I could definitely say that about Caleb. And I'm not sure how much that was just talent on his part or good coaching on my part. You know, I'm sure there were a lot of factors, but he looked the way, if somebody asked me now, how should I do a snatch? I would just show them a picture of Caleb Ward snatching. This is how you do it. And I'd say the same thing with a clean and jerk. So I think that's a pretty big compliment. Um, I hope it is anyway um but he was a he was a he was a a good lifter good lifter from a lot of perspectives
2: um,
1: i'm pretty proud of have coached him
2: that's great uh did you early on in your career did you ever have a time um and th- i 'm talking like early early where you maybe uh were working with an athlete and it ever crossed your mind that maybe you needed to hand them off to someone who could develop them more? Have you ever had that experience, like, early in a coaching when, when maybe you thought, man, I, I'm just not sure if I can take this athlete where he needs to go?
1: I've, I've had that thought process, but probably not for the reasons you're thinking. I've had athletes before that wouldn't listen, Didn't re- for some reason or another they didn't really buy into my program. And I've always, I've always thought this, that if an athlete won't buy in, if they don't really believe that what they're doing is the thing that's going to take them to the level they want to be at, um, if they don't believe that, it's not going to work. I think uh, somebody said that to me once. They said, like, uh, an athlete, you could ha- he could have the best program ever. If he doesn't believe in it, it's not going to be as good as the worst program ever that he believes in. So belief in the program matters a lot. I think, oh gosh, I can't remember who said that. But uh, somebody, uh, Lynn Jones. I think it was Lynn Jones that told me that at some, uh, some point. And this has been in the 90s at some point. But, uh, but I've always, I think that's true. I think if you can get an athlete to believe in a program, that's, that's, that's wonderful. If you can't, it's just not going to work. And I have had some athletes that just wouldn't believe in the program. And I think once that happens and once you establish the fact they just don't buy what you're selling, basically, um, you almost have to just say, you know, at some point, you got to go to somebody else. I have had a couple of athletes that something just didn't work. They didn't believe in the program. They didn't buy into the program. And in the end, it was probably better for them to go somewhere else.
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, that that makes that makes perfect sense. Um do you um, if you don't mind just giving a little bit of a background of, of how you came to basically choose this as your your life's work?
1: Um, well, I when I got my college degree, I, I wanted to get a degree in education. I wanted to be a teacher. Um, then I did fairly well in powerlifting as a competitor. I ended up going to the 1992 World Championships and won the World's, the Junior World's in powerlifting. And that was way back when I was, a junior in powerlifting goes up to like 22, maybe. That was way back when I was like 20 or 21. And that experience kind of changed my life because I had wanted to be a, a history teacher. And that caused me to change my major in college from history to physiology. Because that that experience, I, I stayed a while over in Russia, because that was where they held the, the Junior Worlds that year, and I stayed there and got to meet a lot of people and meet a lot of people in Olympic yeah. weightlifting, and kind of kind of opened my eyes to the the physiology and the science behind training programs. And I came back to the U.S. wanting to change my major from history to physiology, and from then on, that was basically my goal in life was to become a coach. Well, at first it was to become a better athlete, um, and then when I kinda got too old to be a great athlete anymore, I was to become a coach. I've, I've always been fascinated with the whole idea of getting stronger, changing the body, training and how it affects you and how you benefit from it You know, through higher performance, that whole process of training the body to, to have higher performance. has just been fascinating to me. And I, I will, you know, ever since I changed <clears throat> my major, uh, in college, I basically wanted to coach weightlifting and I kind of wanted to kind of wanted to figure out a way to make that somehow pay off commercially or financially. Uh, try to make a, find a way to continue to be a coach. And there were, you know, there was some times in like, 20 years ago, sometimes I kind of doubted myself. I went to school and got my master's degree, and after that, got a master's in physiology, and after that, um, started coaching weightlifting. Um, But for a while, it was kind of of like, I was almost thinking, I want to just quit this and go off and be a strength coach somewhere at some college. Um, I actually had a couple colleges contact me about that, and actually, you know, I guess my name would come up at some point on somebody that may be interested in a job or maybe interested in, in you know a strength coach position. But uh, I finally I kind of thought you know I don't want to walk away from coaching weightlifting. This is what I really love. I oh, i you know my dad it was one thing. I, my dad actually told me someplace he says if you, if you can do it your love, you know, life will be great. And if you have to do something that you hate, life will stink. And I've just always tried to find a way. To continue to do what I loved, and what I love is coaching weightlifting, and I have so far figured out a way to keep doing that. So I hope it keeps up. I it um,
3: you know, just to kind of piggyback off that, and you kind of you spoke to something similar when um, Callie asked you about like working with athletes, but in in your your experience in coaching in the past twenty, thirty years. Um, I'm sure you've seen a lot of positives and negatives. Um, is is there something that stands out in your mind as far as like how you've seen uh, coaches progress in, in weightlifting and powerlifting, you know, uh, it, almost in any sport that you've uh, coaches who've been in, uh, who coach sports uh, that you've been around um, kind of like if, if you had the chance to talk to a younger Glenn Penley, you had 60 seconds and you were, like, stuck in an elevator with him, I mean, what would, what would kind of be, like, some of the advice that you would give him?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I know, right? It's not an easy question. Yeah. I, I guess if I had to give somebody advice, it would be stupid if I didn't give him the advice that's, that's worked for me, which is just, you know, do it. Keep doing it. It'll take a while to become good at it, but keep doing it. As, so I'm talking about coaching now, not just not just the act of competing in weightlifting. But you know, you have to do coaching for a long time to be good at it. I've always felt like if I, I've always felt like if I don't improve myself every year, every two years as a coach, people are going to pass me by, pass me by. You know, I mean, I think. The, co- the science of coaching is something that is going through a lot of development, and I think that if you're doing the same thing as you were 10 years ago, uh, eventually you're going to lose. You have to continue to try to improve yourself as a coach, um, and eventually, the way the world works, um, people that are 40, 50, 60, 70 years old don't aren't the ones that come up with new things. Eventually, people that are twenty or thirty come up with new things. And I don't think I'm quite old enough yet to not be able to have new thoughts. But I know that there are going to be younger people coming up who have different experiences um, that come up. that are the ones that are coming up with the groundbreaking stuff. And I just you know I just think that I want to stay around the sport as long as I can and do well as long as I can and. Uh, I like to think that I'm you know, going to be more open to new things than a lot of people are, but the world changes and the world, the world changes, um, you know, for everybody. And, you know, I just hope I can c- continue to do well for as long as I can.
2: What are some of the developments or things, uh, as of, you know, like let's take the last five, 10 years. I mean, have there been things, um, either research or, um, you know, studies or findings or anything that's sort of influenced your, uh, a change in your coaching or an evolution to your process of, uh, working with these athletes?
1: Oh, I think that, uh, the, uh, whole studies that have went into the endocrine system. Um, that's, that's actually was my specialty. Um, when I got my master's degree, I did research on the endocrine system and how it adapts to stress. And, uh, my thesis I think I still use that today. Um, you know, I I I think that that has ramifications, especially for for all sports, but especially for weightlifting, especially the process of overreaching as it applies to uh, testosterone and cortisol ratios, which are very it's very uh, very applicable for you know gaining strength and and all that. Um, but I think that the whole training cycle. Um, the whole, the whole training cycle that adapts, um, tr- the, the way to adapt the training cycle to what's uh, going to benefit the endocrine system as far as when the competition comes around. There's, there's definitely a way to um, overreach a little bit and have your best test to cortisol ratios on the competition stage. Um, so I think there's some science behind that. I think it's been proven in research, um, and I think that is has a lot of ramifications for weightlifting and and how to plan and training cycles. And I, you know, yeah. Anyway, yeah.
2: Yeah. In in terms of um, you know just coaching in general, I mean, you talked about how you made the transition from a highly competitive athlete to coach when you when you realized that maybe you were approaching the end of your uh, lifting career, and um you know, I always find it interesting when athletes uh choose to do that because many of us have because we have that voice that says, okay, you know like let's let's pass on these tools I've obviously like amassed a certain level of knowledge up to this point, and I can make someone else better um, you know, do you ever uh find that for instance, some athletes really don't make great coaches? I mean I think that that we can all um, you know, we get people at our seminars all the time who uh who are athletes or who have uh you know been doing, for instance, CrossFit for a very short period of time and then immediately decide that their uh their goal is to become, you know, a, a coach. And um, you know, I, I don't know if you feel that some people are, are predisposed to being better coaches than others. Um, you know, do you have any uh any experience working with athletes becoming coaches or maybe some that should that shouldn't? Uh, should or shouldn't
1: oh I yeah, definitely, I think that if you 're a great athlete if you 're a you know a wonderful great athlete you're probably not going to be a good coach. I hate to say it, but uh I think people that make the best coaches are those that had to struggle, people that were not not great um, that had to struggle very hard to become decent, often make wonderful coaches, and the people that everything just came easy for them often don't understand why it doesn't come easy for everyone.
2: Such a good point.
1: Yeah. So if you're one of those people that the pull was just natural. Nobody had to teach you. Um, but you're probably not going to be good at teaching the pull. You know, some rare, rare people can just jerk perfectly the first time they try a jerk. That guy is not going to be good at coaching the jerk. It's going to be the people that had to bust their ass for years to get a decent jerk, they're going to be good at coaching it. And so I feel like while I wanted to be a great athlete, I think the fact that I really wasn't great, I was decent, I got up to a decent level but not great level, but I don't think I was like that gifted genetically, but I think I worked very hard and tried very hard and became mediocre. Um, But I think that as far as a coach, that was the best thing that could ever happen to me. I don't think I'd be near as good a coach as I am now if I would have been a supremely gifted athlete, you know.
2: Yeah. Do you um, – I know we talked about speed earlier and being one of the biggest kind of indicators or biomarkers of uh, performance for uh, weightlifting, but um, do you have any other assessments that you like to use or anything that is sort of an indicator of, of good performance or maybe um, even – Um, a limiting factor that you're looking for uh, when you're assessing athletes kind of early on in the process?
1: Well, this almost goes hand in hand with saying speed, but, you know, people that are naturally good jerkers, the jerk is uh, of the three movements in weightlifting, the the snatch, the clean, and the jerk. The jerk is the one that I think is the most determined by genetics, I guess. You know, Um, people are either born good jerkers, or not and people that are not born good jerkers, they're always going to have to struggle with the jerk. And they're probably going to, if they have a tough clean, it's going to be real hard to jerk it. On the other hand, there are a few weird people that can just jerk anything they can clean. They've always been able to do it. They probably always will be able to do it. And I think those are obviously the people that you want to coach. Because a jerk is very tough to develop if you don't do it well naturally. Very hard to develop that. And I think it's because I think the jerk is the one lift that um, depends the most on speed. And if you're just not good at it, you're just not going to be good at it. You can develop a decent ability to jerk, but it's never going to be one of those things that just is natural, that just comes easily. It's always going to be tough for you.
2: Um, talking about some of the other athletes that you've worked with, I mean, what's your experience working with uh, athletes who are using weightlifting to improve their performance, either on field or in sport? Have you uh, have you worked with specialized athletes outside of weightlifting?
1: A few times, yeah.
2: What was that experience, experience like? I imagine if you enjoyed it, then you'd probably still be doing it.
1: <laughs> Frustrating because if they're really, really good, I'm like, why the hell aren't you doing weightlifting? You know, (laughs) on the other hand, you're never going to see a football player. I don't think you are definitely not a basketball player or a baseball player. You're never going to see people that have the kind of work ethic you have to have in weightlifting. I I, I just think I've never run across that. I mean, I've, I've coached a lot of people that are good in other sports. I mean, I've, I've, you know, coached in the weight room, some NFL players, and people are at that high level like that, but you're never going to see somebody that's going to compare to a weightlifter, a good weightlifter as far as work ethic. And And I just get get frustrated um, working with coaching people that really don't have a work ethic.
2: Do you think that that is partly because um, weightlifting is so dependent on strength development and that takes a lot longer for a lot of these athletes who are specialized in just their one – Position it takes a lot longer to to develop and it's more of that longevity approach. Um, it takes a certain like training maturity and even just oh, yeah. personality Absolutely. maturity.
1: Absolutely, I think I think that's part of it. I mean, it just you know, you're you're just not going to be that like the like strength is one thing that you don't you don't develop overnight. It just takes time. Can't short circuit the process.
4: So with that with that in mind, Coach, I had a question for you. I mean, uh, you know, you're you're a pretty prominent figure in your industry. Uh, what is one? Of, what are or do you have any? Um, or do people come to you with like these get strong quick or become a better weightlifter quick or like any gimmicks like that? And if if they have, what's the most ridiculous one? And just to give you a little background, years back, um, John received an email from a would-be uh, inventor of a jerk helmet that was used to strengthen the neck that you were supposed to rest the bar on your head. Yeah, it
0: was a football helmet that had a platform built on top of it, and what you were supposed to do is put a barbell on top of it with weights and then effectively break at the, you know, dip at the knees, vertical torso, drive the bar straight up, and then bring the bar down with very little eccentric load, let it drop on your neck, and then jerk it back up. This guy had this... Idea to mar- to mass market this as uh, a tool for getting strong and also building neck and, and trunk stability.
1: Holy shit!
3: <laughs>
0: <That's>, <laughs> is, that, a, is that guy running
3: with uh, those like the underwear you can wear with the padded pelvis?
0: Uh, Danny, I don't know what you got going over there, but um, you know, leave your personal stuff aside. <laughs> uh, yeah, this guy so so this guy rolls with this thing and he sends it to me, and uh, it. <laughs> Uh, Did he have a video? Yeah. Yeah, he he, he was says, like 95 years old. Yeah, it was it was a fucking video, and I remember at that point I was like, I, I've seen everything. It's. Um, <laughs> Can
4: we dig that video up?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Passionate. I mean, it's it, if it was sent on the it was sent on the Google, so we technically probably have it somewhere. Uh, but yeah, and the guy was like, what do you think? And I I wrote him just this fucking scathing response that probably evolved with something like, you need to go drink two gallons of bleach immediately to like kill <laughs> off any chance that you're fucking gene pool will continue to exist so but uh yeah so that's what luke's asking like i'm sure you've run into things that are uh, you know advance your olympic weightlifting technique with you know by hooking yourself up to this pulley method or or you know or a shocker system where i hook it up to your balls and i shock you every time you have that pull. i'm sure you've run into things like this i've
1: never run into that exactly um i i i think that probably people don't contact me with stupid ideas like that because I don't know why they would. I mean, holy crap. Those are stupid ideas, you know? And if anybody ever sent me an email saying I've got this get strong fast type of thing, I would probably not respond. I mean, if I did respond, I'd probably respond, you know, negatively, obviously. I'd probably respond with a super funny, well, probably super funny in my mind, you know? (laughs) not to them. I don't know. I, I, I would respond in, with humor, not with anything else. I mean, I I don't even know what I say. You know, I mean, I yeah, I don't. I'm not sure what I'd say, but I'm sure a lot of people have a lot of stupid ideas. I haven't run across a lot of them, mm-hmm. um, but people have. I, I don't know. People just have a lot of stupid ideas. But but I I see things on the internet um, constantly.
0: Yeah, that's a bad idea the internet. Exactly. You know, and, uh, I have said that the single worst thing to happen to athletic training and just coaching lifting weights in general was the internet. Because it basically well, gave anybody that had, you know, that had a YouTube been, account and became an expert.
1: It's been wonderful in certain ways, but terrible
0: in other ways. Exactly. I mean, it, so porn, it, porn being good weightlifting no, being like bad. No, like podcasting, like what oh, doing oh, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> like Like,
1: uh, uh, what are we doing right now? Like the Google Hangout thing, or Skype. That's wonderful, you know, in in certain ways, because I've coached lifters over Skype before. Um, It's not ideal, but it's doable. Um, If you don't have a coach, and I can get on Skype with you um, for an hour every other week, I mean, that's better than nothing, you know? So that's good. Um, but on the other hand, what you said is, is exactly right. The internet makes everybody an expert and it's hard to separate the people that are experts from the, from the other thousand people on the internet that think they are. That's, that's hard, but.
4: How about the, um, so going along the vein of like, you know, just, uh, your advice to the the younger Glenn Pendley of like, hey, this takes time. Just keep getting wax at it. You know, it's going to take some time to develop. Um, what is what would you consider for someone who's a younger aspiring weightlifter? What is the worst thing they can do to impede their development? Uh, whether that's an attempt to fast track or uh, you know, I don't know. I guess in your experience, what would you what would you heed caution to?
1: I would just say keep an open mind. I mean, shit. You know, there's so many things that we don't know, and obviously, if we don't know it, you know, I don't know. I just say keep an open. I'm an open mind. I mean, I, I know that kind of sounds almost cliche, but you've got to train. And I think the the best thing anybody could do is train themselves. Okay, maybe you're not going to be a world champion. Maybe you're not going to be The next great thing, but train yourself, keep training, learn from it. And one other important thing uh, I think everybody should do is keep a training journal. You know, I think that's gotten way easier now with, uh, you know, computers and we all have tablets now and all that crap. There's no excuse for somebody not having a training journal. There's just no freaking excuse. There's also no excuse for people not having a decent training program. You know, I mean, it's so easy these days. You know, it's so easy because there are so many people on the Internet that will be more than happy to write you a training program. I would just say look for somebody that has some reputation in their sport. You know, uh, don't buy a training program from like Joe Blow down the street um, that doesn't have any clue about weightlifting or even worse yet, somebody that's big in another sport. Bodybuilding. That isn't equal, there's no equivalence there to weightlifting. But you know, I could say the same thing about a ton of other you know activities. I hate to call it a sport, but other activities are sports. But somebody that's coached, uh, well the other uh the, the the big red flag is somebody that is a good lifter, that doesn't equate to a good coach. Look for somebody that has coached People up to the highest level, again and again, and has proven they can do that with a lot of people. That will be a decent coach. Um, stay away from people that have coached one person up to the world team, and that's it. That one person is the only person that's good they've ever coached. Look for somebody that's coached a variety of different people, if if possible, people in different decades. You know, so that's a that's somebody that is, is a good coach. Not somebody that just has had one star athlete. Having one star athlete, a lot of people have done that. Not all of them are good coaches for other people. But people that have had good luck over a decade or more are going to be the people that are that are decent coaches. And a lot of people make a mistake. They 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 a person that is a decent athlete, whether it be a, a, in sprinting, boxing, bodybuilding weightlifting, whatever. People that are good athletes, they, they quite being an athlete with a good coach. The two are not the same thing, not even close to the same thing. Um, so I'd say that that's, uh, that's a, a very big mistake people make, but find a good coach, um, and that's probably the single best piece of, of advice that I could give anybody.
2: Um, coach, for someone like myself, I uh, I'm very interested in kind of the mental approach to competition, and I was curious if you had any advice for your athletes, or do you kind of just let them do their own thing when it comes to their mental approach to competition day, all the way leading up to the actual events themselves?
1: I would say that I more let them do their own thing than anything else. On the other hand, once you've coached somebody two, three, four times, you learn what their own thing is. And at that point, you can kind of steer them um, in the direct uh, direct direction, you know? Um, but somebody like Travis Cooper, very smart guy, very analytical, but very different from some other lifters. You know, I mean, he is, he, the thing that's going to be best for him is not going to be best for somebody else. So you just have to get to know the lifter really well. Yeah. Hope, hopefully you have a decent relationship with, with a lifter, you know, with your lifter. Um, but you're going to have to, it's going to have to be individualized. It's not the same. It's in, it's definitely individualized. Um, it's different lifters are just different people, you know, just different people. Sure. So, mentally, you know, you're going to have to figure out what works for that lifter.
2: Sure. And then your, your background having been initially powerlifting, I mean, shoot, anybody who's been to a powerlifting meet, they probably haven't even changed since, uh, back when, uh, when you were lifting cause they're still one of the most bizarre sites ever. Um, and in a good way. It's such good people watching because uh, powerlifters especially are notorious, a lot of them, for uh, getting super jazzed and basically doing whatever it takes to reach the optimal level of arousal. Um, do you have any anything like any of your athletes or athletes in the past, you don't even have to use names, but have pretty interesting uh, pre-competition routines or superstitions or anything like that?
1: Oh, I wouldn't say superstitions, but routines. Of course, weightlifting, being basically the opposite of powerlifting, um, is tends to be very much more low key, and the emphasis is on concentration and having you know being concentrating very very hard. So you don't want things that are going to screw them up. They don't want to get you don't you don't want to get too jazzed up. You know, in weightlifting, you have to have a, the perfect level of arousal, which is not you know very high arousal it's just very medium you know um very medium um you don't you don't want to get super super jazzed up at all that's not optimal for weightlifting um but you know there's uh, there there's again i just i just go back to different things work for different people um i mean i, I i'm not even sure what to say besides that?
2: Yeah, I'm sure everyone has sort of their own routine and knows how to calibrate themselves, like. Yeah, powerlifting
1: and weightlifting are two almost at the opposite ends of Yeah, thing.
2: yeah, you have to, you know, in powerlifting, you just have to be—you're preparing yourself to grind through something and fight, you know, for, um, you know, it's it's less, um, you know, it is technical, but it's far less technical, um, and it does require, I guess, you could say uh more stimulation just to kind of prepare yourself mentally to kind of grind through something um uh so let's let's talk a little bit about things that you have coming up i mean um I know you're just you guys are your whole team and yourself probably are recovering from the competition and uh are are heading into a new training cycle so um you know what are things coming up for you guys in the next year or
1: so well um here in two weeks, I'm going to China with James Tatum um, for a Grand Prix event there. Um, then right when that gets over, I'll be going to Salt Lake City. Um, I think I'd get back from China one day and go to Salt Lake City the next day. Um, that's for uh, collegiate nationals. We do have one lifter that is uh, going to compete um, at the world team qualifier there at collegiate nationals. Um, Say so that's the next month. Um, China, Salt Lake City. Then after that, I think the next big thing is the American Open. That's, uh, well, the World Championships after that. And then after the World Championships, we'll have the American Open. So I'll be going to Houston for the Worlds. We have three lifters right now that are on the World Team. I think we'll end up with four or five. Um, by the time the Worlds gets here and the last qualifiers are done. And then we'll have the Worlds and the American Open right after the Worlds. And that's a big meet for us. And that's pretty much as big as Nationals. Not quite as important, but as big as Nationals. And I'm, we'll be training for the American Open. Almost everybody on the team has started their training cycle um, this week for the American Open. And hopefully, you know, we'll look back. I think that it would be a really good time to say, we are definitely want to make improvements from uh not only from year to year but from meet to meet so you know i would i would think that every athlete has their total right now from nationals and so the goal is to improve those totals for american open
2: great um and i know i understand that you have a, a book in the making can you give us a little bit of a sneak peek of um you know, the the premise, and, and if, you know, you're in the editing phase, or whatever, and, and a little bit about, you know, when you might be releasing that?
1: Well, my plan is for it to be for sale um, at the World Championships, so that'll be in November, and I would say the book is 95% done. I mean, I've definitely written everything, um, so I'm I think right now the the stage I'm in now is I'm putting pictures together. So I've already got the pictures together for like the snatch chapter, the clean chapter, the jerk chapter, the instructional pictures, basically. Um, All those are done with Travis Cooper as the model. Um, So I'm still putting the pictures, kind of like the the pictures that are just – Pictures of competitions and of other coaches, and of other people I know, kind of pictures like that. Just pictures of about weightlifting, you know. Um, pictures like that are still going in the book. You know, we still haven't got the got the page layouts quite finalized, um, but that'll be done within next month, and then the book will be going to printers probably within four weeks. Um, yeah, definitely within four weeks. And then we'll be back from the printer and ready to sell before the, before the uh, before the worlds.
2: And this is um this is a technique book
0: essentially.
1: No, no, it's well not a technique book essentially, but uh, it definitely has three chapters in it that are deal totally with technique.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I I the, the title of the book I think is going to be American weightlifting um, because it's a book about American weightlifting. Because it's, it's a book about, you know, what I know, which is American weightlifting. And I continue to think that people that go to foreign coaches, um, that's not the best way to go. And I think that the USAW, um, by hiring foreign coaches, that a lot of times these guys don't really understand America or our system and the, the problems we have with our system and our athletes. Um, I think people that are born raised go through the weight, the start of weightlifting in the, the American weightlifting system are very different from the European system and the European athletes. Obviously from a drug use standpoint, it's different, but there's a lot of other things too that go into that. And I just think that there's a huge difference in coaching people that are on, or it can be on drugs and aren't, be on, aren't on drugs. Sure. I mean, there's a, there's a monstrous difference. And I think going to get coaches that their only experiences with athletes that can use drugs. Um, a lot of times isn't, isn't the best thing for the athletes. Um, it, you know, I think that in a lot of ways, coaches that have to coach athletes that aren't on drugs develop into better coaches. And I was put the coaches in the United States, the better coaches in the United States, up against coaches from anywhere as far as coaching skill. And coaching, you know, I would put, uh, you know, some of these people up against anybody in, in the world as far as the quality of coaching. Um, and I think that the USAW always going for foreign coaches is, is not, you know, it's, it's not really a good thing. I think Drag, or, uh, I think uh, Zygmunt is a very good coach, very, very nice guy. I really like him, actually, um, but I think that in here in the U.S. we have some good coaches, also, um, some very good coaches, also. Um, and sometimes the coaches here in the U.S. tend to work better with American athletes than the foreign coaches do. I think a lot of it's the language barrier, the culture barrier. You know, um, there's a lot of reasons why a lot of co- times the coaches from here in the U.S tend to get along better and work better with American athletes. But the, the book is about American weightlifting. Yeah, I think it's there's a big difference from the way that, you know, American weightlifting than, say, European weightlifting. There's just a big difference. Um, big difference in the experiences that we have in the U.S. versus people in Europe have. And I think that it's very hard um, for people that aren't, haven't been born and raised in this culture to kind of understand what the differences are between Europe and here. And I think the book is only about American weightlifting. I think that there's plenty of other people that have written about the weightlifting from a European standpoint. And I'm, I'm writing it about, I write about it from an American standpoint. And so that's what the name of the book is. And, uh, I think it's going to, it's going to cover, you know, the technique coaching, um, as far as programming, um, There's, you know, there's a couple chapters on CrossFit um, because CrossFit has been huge for American weightlifting, absolutely huge. Um, Just the influence of CrossFit, the amount of people that are in the USAW now, um, CrossFit has been very good for American weightlifting, very good. Um, So that's, you know, the book's just about everything to do with weightlifting in America.
2: Great. Well, we look forward to seeing it in uh, hopefully in New- November then. Um guys, did anyone else have any other questions for Coach Penley?
3: I have a couple. Shoot. Um well, <clears throat> coach, I remember when when uh John North was on the team, um you you both would do a podcast. You would do his podcast and you you uh, seem to be a regular on that. And then it kind of like it went off in this direction of, uh, like, cooking with Penle, right? Um, Food is a favorite subject to talk about with the Power Athlete crew. Hmm. Um, You seem to know your way around the kitchen pretty well. So I was curious if – what happened to that whole thing as far as, like, the little videos that you used to do? And uh, my other question would be, um, like, your – one of like your standout Donnie Schenkel moments. Um, I've seen him hang clean 200 kilos with clean and jerk, hang clean and jerk, 200 kilos. And I was like, man, like, you know, how it's just impressive to see him be able to do something like that. And I'm curious if you have even like a one upper on the 200 kilo clean and jerk.
1: Well, first the cooking thing, um, I like to cook, and so, you know, I, I like to eat too, which is probably why I like to cook because um, I like to eat good things. But uh, I haven't done one of those videos in forever, and I think the kind of life just I, – I, I hate to say like life got in a way, but I just got so busy because I've got so much other things going on. And uh, um, I just haven't done one in a while. Um, it's not to say I'll never do one again because I got a good response on all the ones I did, um, but i just I just haven't had the time i guess um for a while now about Donnie shankel um well, I had a very long mostly good relationship with Donnie shankel um I think I coached him for over ten years um but life goes on and uh, you know in the in the in that in that ten years he got a number of injuries um which kind of prevent him from doing weightlifting at a high level anymore. Um, I think that most most of those injuries were kind of needless. Um, they were the result of doing things that I knew weren't smart and he should have known weren't smart. I think that Donnie had an extraordinary amount of talent. Um, I think he could have. Made not only one Olympic team, but could have made two or three Olympic teams. He had that amount of talent, and it's it's kind of too bad that he chose to do some of the things he did. You know, it's very much too bad. I would have loved to have seen him go um, to the Olympics. I mean, but but that's not going to happen. It's you, you can't turn back time. You can't undo things that have already been done. Um, so I, I still am friends with Donnie. I think he's a you know I think he's a he's a great guy. But uh, uh, you know I've got. Uh, you know, a couple of guys in that weight class now, Ethan Herrick is the one that are doing numbers that Donnie never did, was never capable of. Ethan is, uh, you know, a better lifter than Donnie ever was and uh, certainly hasn't been weightlifting for all that long and is certainly going to, you know, do far, far, far better in a total, um, beat Donnie's best total by a lot, an awful lot. Um, so I guess that, you know, like I said, I, I still am friends with Donnie. He was a he was a good he was a great lifter in in his time, but kind of the world goes on. Athletes are getting better over time, and I, you know, um, I don't know really what else to think about that. I don't really have any I don't really have any Donnie stories that are, you know, fit to tell in public. You know? I was um, just
3: curious if you had seen him do something like in training. Uh, to where you just stood back and you're like, damn, you know, like that's, that's pretty impressive. Uh, yeah. he, he just seems to have like a really crisp technique, uh, which, which kind of brings me to one more question, if I could squeeze it in real quick. Um, we asked uh, Bergner's kind of the same thing. Um, as far as like the the catapult versus a triple extension. Do you do you kind of just let that let the and ethic I, kind
1: of figure it out, I, or do you prefer I one? Hate, I hate the the idea that there is a there is even this this I not 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 I don't you know the fact that we even have to have a question. Do you prefer the catapult or triple extension? Is kind of a that's what I hate about it. You know, there is no catapult me- catapult method. There's no such thing. There is no such thing. Never has been, um, and. Don McCauley would definitely say the exact same thing. Um, actually, I just last week, I, w- I, w- he, I was saying something about somebody keeps asking me about the catapult method. There is no catapult method. Never has been. Um, I think that, uh, and he's very upset about the fact that people have continued to think, think that there's a, a, some kind of a special catapult method. Don is more upset about that than anybody. Um, the catapult started with a, a way of describing what everybody does. It's just a way of describing what people do on the pool. Um, there is no special catapult method. The catapult, the, 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 uh, the phrase or the, the word was designed as a way of describing what everybody does. There's no special catapult method. It's just what people do on the cleanest snatch.
2: Yeah, that's actually what uh Coach B said. I mean, it was just he basically he basically responded with the same sentiment, which is listen, it's all the same thing. It's not there it is. is no catapult method. It
1: is all the same thing. That's so frustrating to me to even have that question asked, or I'm not trying to rip on you guys at all, but to even have people asking the question, what's the triple extension of the catapult? Okay. <laughs> and that's a that's a bad question because there yeah. is no catapult method. And there, there really is no triple extension method, you know. They're both the same thing. They're both the pull. They're both the pull. And some people do a little bit more triple extension because that I think that refers to uh, extending at the ankle. Um, and some people do a little bit of that. It's not very important. In fact, I don't think it's important at all. Um, but it, it's, it's a follow-through. Um, that that some people do and some people don't, and that doesn't matter at all. Whether you do or don't doesn't really matter. But it's the most unimportant thing in the world. Um, But the whole thing about the special catapult method, I mean, I think where that really took off was when John North misunderstood the catapult, and he couldn't say catapult, and he called it cantapult. And somehow he got to saying cantapult, and the cantapult method which he thought that it was a different thing. I mean, I don't think he, he didn't understand it at all. He thought that there was actually a different method, the cantapult method, um, which is actually quite funny.
2: uh, (laughs) Yeah, That's
1: what (laughs) he he called it. He did several like little movements that he put up on videos. And this is a cantapult method. And it's like, there is no catapult method. There's certainly not a cantapult method. He just <laughs> didn't understand anything about that at all, which was hilarious to me. Yes, it should have been hilarious to everybody. But yes. I don't think some people are actually there's some little John North fan out there. Yeah, that's actually, John North was confused. I don't believe. I mean, you know, it's just it's just like, the whole thing is just hilarious, just hilarious. But there's no catapult method. There's no cantapult method. No matter what John North says, no such thing. And it's all kind of a misunderstanding. And I think Don McCauley is more upset than anybody about this because he never imagined that somebody or anybody would ever think that he came up with some kind of a different method in the poll. Um, and I think he's kind of like, holy shit, what'd I do? You know? Um, but yeah, it's, it's just the poll. That's it. There's no new method. I went to one of John
3: Norris' seminars, and uh, he 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 did kind of push that, um, and that's why I asked it because I get asked a lot about um, the difference between the two, and uh, you know, and the way I understand it is that what like before in this before the 60s on on the Olympic platform they didn't they didn't allow the bar to touch the lifter's body at all, right? Somewhere right. around that time I'm gonna guess and then they kind of changed the rules and they allowed the lifters to make contact with the bar sometime after the 60s and then all these records started to be broken and um, it you know maybe that led into uh, a, maybe that looked like a different type of a pole than like a classical triple extension
1: um, and no, I, no, I no. Ask that you the, the know triple of, extension. The triple yeah. extension. Um, people have used the triple triple extension um, for a long time. Touching the body is just fine on the triple extension. It's within the rules. P- some people call it a triple extension. The triple extension versus the catapult. The triple extension um, refers to the lifter extending the knees, hips, and ankles. And the triple extension happens. On most snatches and cleans because you're extending all the three of those joints knees hips and ankles so as long as you extend the knees hips and ankles it's a triple extension um, so that you know I, I think that Don McCauley thought that the catapult name was kind of new and unusual and different thing to call it uh, and it kind of I'd hate to talk for him. I hate to speak for him, but I think that he thought that the fact that um, I, not, I don't even want to speak for him. I don't, I'm not sure why. Yeah, he we don't have to go there. The catapult. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. Don's a good coach. He's a good guy. He's a friend, and and he, and I think he's a you know. But I'm just not sure exactly why he I, he uh, started the name catapult. I know that he was. Said it, I think, on the old Go Heavy forum for the first time. Uh, I actually kind of remember, obviously, when he when he first coined that phrase. But I can't really think. I can't really remember uh, ever talking to him about what was actually going through his mind. I oh, I think I know. I think I know. I think that he just didn't like when people call the, tri- the triple extension. He just didn't like the term triple extension because the ankle flexion isn't really important. I think that was his beef with the word triple extension. Because in his mind, and mine too, the ankle extension isn't really a big deal. It's not really important, because you don't have to do it. You can literally nail your lifting shoes to the ground, nail the heels of them to the ground, do the exact same pull, lift almost the exact same weight with no ankle extension at all. And both he and several other people have proved that. Um, You know, I mean, try it if you want to, it's possible.
3: That's an interesting point because I mean it, say uh you know even your basic uh like a CrossFit coach if they're going to if they're going to coach up some Olympic lifting um that they might see an athlete do that not extend their ankles and they're going to be like oh you need to you need to create like that plantar flexion it's a necessity
1: no, no you don't need to you don't need to it, it and you know and 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 like i said try it nail your heel to the ground and try to try to snatch, and you'll be able to do about the same weight. Um, and a lot of lifters, elite lifters, Olympic caliber lifters, you know, guys that have, you know, snatching 180 at, you know, in the in the middleweight class or something. I mean, a lot of them don't plantar flex at all. You'll see a fair amount of elite level lifters that don't really extend their ankles at all. So some most do, but some don't and it, you know it's like if most do something but some if, if you can get away without doing it it must not be that important um but but i think that don just as a coach he just doesn't like it when people get up on their toes i think i i you know you'd have to have him in here to talk about why exactly he doesn't like it but he just ha he just doesn't like it doing people doing it um and doesn't think it's a great idea Um,
2: so coach, I gotta, I gotta ask you a question real quick because, uh, we like to use the power variations for, for sport transfer. Right. And, uh, I actually have had personally great success getting on my toes because, uh, you know, the calf as we know it. And that, that, uh, essentially using that joint um, through triple extension or just getting up on the toes in general is one of the most mechanically advantageous joints, right? So you think about how much weight you can displace if you were just to simply go and do like calf raises on, you know, one of those shoulder loaded right. uh, calf raise machines, right? So you can bear a lot of weight and because of the the way that the lever works, uh, it's pretty advantageous, right? Now that's just for the power variation. Does that... Does that ring true at all for utilizing just getting tall in a big, long pole?
1: No, because um, the taller you get, the more you have to go down. So I'm not a fan of a big shrug or a big going up on the toes because either one of those things um, take time Mm -hmm. and you have to go down from that higher point, not with the shrug, but you have to go down from the higher point with the, get getting up on the toes. And that tends to cancel out any advantage that it has. So most athletes can get under more weight faster if they don't go up on the toes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the shrug takes, you know, however many milliseconds it takes to shrug, that's a couple of milliseconds that you don't have to go under. Okay. And so I think that a big shrug or a big plantar reflection, either one, is not really doing you any, uh, doing you any favors in the lifts. I don't so think it's, it's,
2: yeah, there's a point of diminishing returns,
1: basically. Oh, sure, sure. Okay. There's a point of diminishing returns. I think that a very small amount, like the first hint of a shrug and the first hint of a plantar reflection, are about all you're going to get out of it. You know, okay. if you go any past that, um, it's basically a fight against yourself. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna so, shoot, and change change things up, see how it goes.
1: <laughs> so everything is just
3: violent hip extension, pretty much. Pull the frickin' bar, violent yeah. hip extension. Don't get lost in all the other everything else.
1: Yeah, the, the 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 yeah, the hip extension, the hip and knee extension. I mean, even knee extension. Um, if you look at very much slowed down videos, you'll find that most good lifters don't complete the knee extension. I mean, you're, you're going through the midpoint, mm-hmm. but far, way before the knee gets locked out, you're already going under. Yeah. I mean, the hip extension is the only thing that really goes through to the end, you know. The hip extension is everything, basically. The knee extension definitely helps. It assists. Um, the ankle extension, maybe a little, but not that much. Yeah. The hips yeah. are pretty much everything in weightlifting.
2: Awesome. Well, that's good. I mean, it's it's great because we talk so much in terms of just utilizing the lifts just for sport transfer, which is, you know, we do want knee extension because of its replication to sprinting and things like that. But, you know, when we talk to someone who is obviously, you know, at the highest level in weightlifting, it's great to go back to the purity of the sport and what it's all about, moving heavy weight and, uh, you know, doing it in the most efficient way.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the, well, that's what that's what one of the things that you have to love about weightlifting. Weightlifting is basically a pure sport. I mean, hell, it's one of these. There's no judging in weightlifting. I mean, you know, you can get real for press out or something, but that's really small potatoes. I mean, you either lift the lift the weight or you don't. I mean, that's yeah. You know, how much more cut and dried could it be? Yeah. I, that's one of the things I love about weightlifting. I mean, it's a it's, it's purely cut and dried, and obviously um, the training is you know the training is hard. The performance though is cut and dried you're either going to lift it or you don't no amount of you know fancy formulas can you know can make you lift it or not you know yep it's very that's, cut and dried
2: that's great well I think that that's a really positive note to end on guys um, coach thank you so much for taking like this hour and a half basically um, on your day off to to chat with us it's been a real pleasure
3: thank you thank you for having me. Thanks a lot, Coach. I
1: appreciate it. Thank you.
2: All right, guys. Uh,
3: that's
0: it for today. Bye.
2: Bye. <laughs> now it's time for you to empower your performance. To find out more about Coach Penley and the Muscle Driver crew, including our past guest, Sean Rigsby, visit TeamMDUSA.com. You can keep tabs on Glenn and hear updates about his book release by following him on Instagram under the name Glenn Penley. Don't forget to tune in next week for our amazing conversation with the smart, the witty, the hilarious Matt Wizlinski. He's the head strength and conditioning coach for. Du- he's the head and. Str- he's the head and he's the fucking guy who's in charge of the WWE Performance Center. Until next time, bye.